Wow. Well, I'll tell you what, we have Pastor Matthew Barnett from the LA Dream Center here with us tonight. Yeah. Just an amazing man of God with just a great story and just an amazing world-changing church, really a movement over in Los Angeles. And you know, today, Pastor Matthew spoke to all of our key leaders and key volunteers uh, our serve, some of our serving teams today at 12 o'clock, we had our volunteer uh, appreciation gathering. I want to let you know that he shared, I thought, it was the best message on serving that I've ever heard. And I've heard a lot of messages on serving. And I also thought it was, it was one of the best messages on serving in really in the celebration DNA and in the culture of our church that I've ever heard. So I wanted him, he's not gonna preach that message uh, tonight. Um, he's got another great message for us tonight, but I wanted him to just come share before we take up uh, the offering here in a few moments and just give you a little bit of what our volunteer team's got a lot of today. So come on, come on, give Pastor Matthew a hand. He's gonna come on up right now. Come on, give my hand, church. Y'all love him, he's a dear friend. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Thank you. I tell you, this is an unbelievable night. I mean, you have had Stephen Furry, Perry Noble, Robert Medu, and then now you have, I'm like, who's going to be left for me? But uh, I don't think it matters who's here. I think you came for Jesus. Amen. I mean, this is like unbelievable. And I love you guys. This worship team is one of the greatest I've ever heard. I'm telling you, I was so moved by this. I, I, you don't hear anything like this all over the world. I was talking today a little bit about an experience I had. You know, I've been pastoring in my same neighborhood for over 20 years. Started pastoring at 20 years of age in the middle of the inner city of L.A. And uh, so when I say I've been pastoring 20 years, a lot of people are like, wow. I mean, it's surprising to hear that at this age in my life. But it's been a journey, and it's, it's, it's been one of those things where I've been on a ride of momentum my entire life. Up to 18, 19 years, feels like I've just felt, I felt everything, and every need that has pierced my soul and doing really good, just kind of feeling like I was going to feel like that for the rest of my life. And then last year, I went through a, something in my life that just literally startled me. I went through a period of my life where all of a sudden I couldn't feel anymore. Now, I know that it has nothing to do with feelings. Faith overcomes feelings. and we Sometimes we have to get through our feelings. But this period of time was way too long in my life. It was way too long of just feeling numb to everything that was going on. Hearing stories of people overcoming drugs on stage uh, who live at our Dream Center and just not really feeling anything and trafficking victims being rescued and it was just kind of like, well, I've been there, done that. Everything felt old, everything felt tired, and everything felt like I was a bit discouraged and I couldn't get through it. I didn't know what was going on. And one day in a church service, I was uh, a man came up to give a testimony from our rehab program who was saved from the streets. He was homeless. We picked him up, brought him to church, him and his son. And a day before he was gonna uh, lose his son to social services, we rescued him with one of our buses that picked him up from the street. And he told about how the church saved his life. And in the middle of his testimony, he was so grateful that he fell on his knees on the stage to say, thank you. And as he did, it was the most humbling thing to see a man fall on his knees before me to say thank you. And then God spoke to me. God said, I want you to get down on your knees and get lower than that man and tell him how much of a joy it is for you to get to serve him. And that moment was so powerful. 
I got up and God spoke to me and he said, you get to serve that man. And not to go into the total detail about what I went into today, but for the next week, nearly about a thousand times, God was reminding me every single day, you get to serve. You don't have to do anything, you get to serve. And God said, I want to anoint you with a mindset to no longer live with a tired, weary attitude towards serving God. I'm suddenly going to put a new spirit upon you, and I'm going to start allowing everything in your life to no longer be a have to. You're going to start seeing everything as a get to. The offering would come by, and I used to think that the offering was a time where God was taking something from me. I'm losing money. And now God was like, you get to give. And he started showing me that giving in the house of God was the only place where your seed never dies. Your seed never dies in the house of God. It is multiplied through lives that are being impacted. When you give, generations are changed because you gave. When you give, your seed lives on. It's the only thing that multiplies. You go to a movie, that money's gone. It goes to some Hollywood executive, and who knows what lifestyle it goes to support after you see that. You go to a game, your team could win or it could lose. You never know what's going to happen. You could leave 50% encouraged, 50% discouraged, you know. But when you come in the house of God and you give, and you carry a mindset of I get to give, you just made life better for the city when you gave. You just transformed. You, you built a bridge in which maybe you never will cross one day. Or you planted trees in the shade by which you will never even enjoy, but maybe for generations. Or maybe for this generation, but... God began to put a spirit upon me that said, we get to. I want you to start seeing everything. And so I told our church, you get to give. When the offering comes by, don't ever say, this is a time where something's being taken from me. I get to give. We get to serve. And I asked our church, I said, I wonder what would happen if one Sunday, if every single person in the church gave something. 100%. I don't think we've ever seen the day where everybody gave something. And I was asking our guys that we pick up off the street to give something. And so we had homeless guys giving a quarter and giving a nickel. And I asked everyone to raise their hand. And for the first time, it looked like, I mean, almost, I mean, it might have been 100%. I'm not kidding. It was so overwhelming. Everyone raised their hand and said, we're going to give something. And that night, it was overwhelming. With everybody doing their part, everybody saying we get to give, it was by far the biggest offering we'd ever received in the history of the church. And, I, and it wasn't driven by one or two people. It was everybody. And everyone raised their offering and said, we get to give. We get to give. We don't have to give. We get to give. And they begin to see the purpose and the destiny. Some of you work all week long, and you present your offering. It is a life-changing event in the kingdom of God. And I want you to see it that way. No longer be bound by this whole obligation of giving, but the joy of giving. We get to serve. We get to do everything. You know, we get to forgive. Uh, we get to uh, give people a second chance. That might be hard to get. So we get to believe in people who don't believe in themselves. And tonight, as we give on this final night of this Awakening Transformation Conference, unlike anything I've ever seen, I walked in here tonight. I said, this is the last. I don't know what's going to happen. And I couldn't believe the spirit of celebration that's here. Can that get-to-worship attitude be translated one more time in the area of giving? Where we say tonight, we're going to give a get-to offering. And I want to say, we're going to celebrate. We're going to rejoice. And I, this is what I want to do. I want everyone in this room tonight, I want everyone tonight to say, I'm going to sow something. Everyone, even if you don't have your offering yet, by faith, you'll, have, you'll get it in a second, all right? I want you to join me tonight and join my assistant. My assistant Aaron doesn't give. He's going to break the momentum. He better give too, all right? He came here, all right? I want everyone tonight that says, I get to give, and I'm excited about not having to give. But tonight, I give with great joy. 
because of what's going to happen for, through this church, what we'll be able to do because of tonight. Everyone together who said, that's me, I, I, I want to participate in the We Get to Give offering. I want you to raise your hands. Come on, all over this room. Just lift them. Oh, my goodness. I don't care if it's a quarter, if it's a nickel. Everyone, look at these hands going up. All of, This is, might be 90%. This was close to the 100%, but this is a bigger crowd. So, all right, 90%, 95. Hands are going up all over this room. Look, I, I'm a pastor. I, 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 I'm here to build your church. I love your church. And I just believe tonight that there's a spirit of celebration and giving all over this room. I want to do some right now. I want, I want us to hold up our offering right now. And just, just, just get that offering prepared. I'm going to give you about 35 to 40 seconds. I don't know why I picked that number. It was random. But I'm going to give you about 40 seconds, all right, to just get your offering ready. And then in 40 seconds, maybe there's a number. The, the, the children of Israel, I don't know. It has nothing to do with that. It's just a number, all right? But in 40 seconds, we're all going to hold up our offering. And we're going to say we get to give. We're going to scream it three times as loud as we can. Are you ready? So I'm going to give you 40 seconds to get it together, the offering, and we're going to just worship. Maybe in this time we'll just have a spirit of worship, but let's just get prepared right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The windows of heaven are opening up. The windows of heaven are opening up right now. We believe this will be the greatest time of giving ever. Everyone together, people are moving everywhere. This is amazing tonight. We, you have fasted together, you have believed together, now we give together. What, what a great way to finish off this unbelievable month by sowing something so generous to bless the work of God. This incredible church that I love so much. I've never been to a place in the last few years I've loved more than this place. I felt so encouraged this morning. God sent me here to be encouraged by this wonderful church and people I've met already this morning. Father, we just present this offering and, and we just rejoice at what's going to happen. We rejoice in the breakthrough. In this awakening time that, Lord, to be honest, has kind of shaken the country. All over the country, people have been stirred by the events that have happened of faithfulness by this church who set a pattern of good works. Lord, churches that have, that have gone the extra mile because they've been inspired by the discipline and the dedication and the, and the joy people have in serving. And today, Lord, we say, Lord, we get to fast. We get to sacrifice. We get to give. And Lord, there's some people that are coming towards the end of, of this extraordinary awakening period. And I thank you, Lord, that if it ends right now with this final day by saying, Lord, suddenly the, the get-to is being unleashed. And right now, as you hold, just go ahead and hold up your offering right now. We just believe God all over this building. This is unbelievable, folks. This is unreal tonight. There's so much commitment here in this house tonight. Father, one more time. Let's all three times. Let's shout. We get to give. Are you ready? One, two, three. We get to give. We get to give. We get to give. Yeah, hallelujah. Give the Lord praise in this room here tonight. I love you, church. And I'm so proud of you. Just remember that in the kingdom of God, God takes us from the half to and it puts a get-to in our spirit. As we receive this offering, that video announcement start, there's offering envelopes in the seat in front of you. Uh, this is going to be a historic night. God bless you. Hey, welcome. We're so glad that you joined us for Awakening Revival Nights. Here are a few news items and happenings coming up here at Celebration. This coming Sunday, February the 1st, we're going to be closing out an unforgettable awakening season with water baptisms at all campuses after the 9 o'clock, 10.30, and 12.12 services. If you'd like to take this step in your relationship with God, we'd love to celebrate it with you. You can get more information at celebration.org forward slash baptism.
Sunday, February the 8th, we begin a brand new series here at Celebration called Giants. We'll be digging into God's Word and uncovering some truths about the perceived giants in our lives and how they may just turn out to be our greatest advantage. They can refine, grow, and shape our faith and take us to new places with new strengths we never thought possible. We're so looking forward to studying God's Word together. And if you don't have a home church here in Jacksonville, we'd love for you to come and join us. For Sunday service times, visit our website at celebration.org. Lastly, all middle and high school students in the city of Jacksonville are invited to the next citywide riot night. Awakening Revival Night guest speaker Robert Madu will be back joining our students for a great night of worship and an encouraging message. We hope to see you there. To learn more about the Riot Night or Celebration student ministry called The Riot, please visit our website. Thanks so much and enjoy the rest of our Awakening Revival Night. This is your city, and we set the name of Jesus above Jacksonville. We pray for a move of God. Lord, we pray for a move of righteousness. God, we pray that the Holy Spirit would draw people to Jesus. I can't, I can't, I can't move like Madhu. We're going to give him that nickname. Is that cool? Let's call him Madhu. Isn't that a cool name? What a great name, man. Hey, li listen, I'm telling you, get ready to have fun. Get ready for God to really encourage you. Get ready for an amazing word from God. Come on up. Uh, listen. You guys know him, you guys love him. Pastor Matthew Barnett, LA Dream Center. Oh, thank you, we're old friends. What an honor it is tonight. And uh, I got a chance to speak to your staff today and uh, I couldn't believe it. Um, their volunteer staff filled this entire section here this morning. and. As I said to this church this morning, revival's not coming to celebration. Revival is already here. Amen. How many feel that? And uh, you know, you know, every time I'm around your pastor, he just gets more childlike than ever before. That's why you know I love people that get more childish. You know, they, people always tell you to grow up. I think we need to get younger and get more childish as we get older. Amen. I think we need to do the opposite. 
Yeah, so I think it's a compliment. People say, man, you're getting more childlike every year of your life, and that's the way this church is. This, is, this church is, every time you come here, if the building gets bigger, people are more excited. There's never a sense here in this, in this church that you've ever gotten used to it. Don't you get used to this worship team. Don't you get, this is, I turned up Pastor Stovall, said, I've never heard anything like this. Don't you get used to what God is doing here. You can be so close to it that sometimes you cannot realize what's happening. Don't ever get used to what's going on because what happens here does not happen everywhere. Trust me, this is an unbelievable move of God. And, uh, don't ever get used to it, all right? That's the coolest picture I've ever had in my life. That's just awesome. Look at me, man. I'm like so many different blocks and cool. And anyways, and uh, I don't know how to be cool, but that's the coolest I've ever looked. All right. Turn your Bible to Luke chapter 23 and verse 39. I'm blessed to be here. I love this church. I love what it stands for. I love what it means to the world. I love what it means to your city. I love that when you come to this church, you either want to burn something or build something, but you want to do something. Tonight I'm going to speak on the subject, the title of my message is Misfits Welcome. How many here know that God loves misfits? How many here know that God appreciates misfits? Tonight I'm going to preach on Misfits Welcome, Luke chapter 23 and verse 39. I won't preach long. Everybody believes a preacher when he says that, say amen. amen. There's like no faith in this building. It just left when I said that. Luke chapter 23 and verse 39. Here we go. If it's on the screen, I'll follow it there. One of the criminals who hung their insults at him, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him, saying, don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what we deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Of course, we know what Jesus said from then. This day you will be with me. In paradise. Father, I pray as I deliver this word that you would speak life and hope and courage. I pray that, Lord, your will would come alive and your strength would dominate my strength tonight. Overwhelm me with something that I, can, I cannot be without you. I pray, Lord, people will not leave this sermon saying, this service saying, what a great sermon, but they would leave and say, what a great God. If that happens, you're glorified and everyone gets touched in the right way to change their world for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. I love Jesus. I love the fact that even in his darkest hour, Jesus was constantly thinking about others. When Jesus was dying on the cross, he took the time to say, John, take care of my mom. Isn't Jesus awesome? He's going through pain and torture, and he still has time to say, John, take care of mom. Jesus is dying on the cross, and he's there. There's a man who is um, under a harsh penalty for his sin and his mistakes. Society had rejected him. People had turned their back on him. And yet, the thief on the cross next to him had the audacity to try to sneak his way into the last second into heaven. And yet, Jesus said, come on, this day you will be with me in paradise. You see, Jesus was always thinking about the hurts of mankind, even when he hurt. He was always thinking about the pain of others, even when he was going through pain. What I loved about Jesus is he did three things pertaining misfits in this world. Number one, Jesus spent his life welcoming misfits. And matter of fact, Jesus spent his entire life making sure misfits knew that they still not only were welcome, but misfits could be used for the glory of God. Now, I, I used to come home after preaching and watch ESPN Late Night Boxing. How many of you have ever seen Boxing Late Night? It's usually guys that have like 15 wins, 15 losses, you know, and uh, that's when you get all the, the good fights. You know, people don't have strategy. They're just throwing punches, you know. It's like eight people watching in the middle of the night. and So those are the kind of ones I like to watch, you know, because they're free. But I, I think boxing is wrong. 
I think boxing should be outlawed. I think boxing is brutal. I think boxing is vicious, and I think it should be outlawed. But until they do, I'm going to watch every single fight they have, you know. And, uh, and I was watching these two guys, you know, and they were fighting. And I caught the last round where this guy knocked another guy to the ground. And the referee was counting them out. One, two, three, four, five. And this guy was staggering to his feet. And somehow he got to his feet and the bell rung and the fight was over. And I said to myself, that guy definitely lost the fight because he barely made it up on nine on the last round of the match. And they got to the middle and he looked more beat up than the other guy. And the judge went to the center and he, he grabbed the hands and uh, he declared the winner. And it was the man who got knocked down who got up at nine. I said, how is this possible? I shouted that to the TV. And it was funny. It was like the voice came back to me and they said, the reason why this was possible was the man got knocked down. But in boxing, he said, you can still win the fight without winning every round. And I was like, holy ghost. Thank you, Jesus. I got a sermon for Sunday. A brother got a hustle for a sermon. Anyway, he can get one, you know. And uh, and then, I, then all of a sudden, God began to remind me of all the people who were pronounced and given these glorious titles in the Word of God who did not deserve them. He said, God said, David, you are a man after my own heart. Now, we all know that, that David wasn't always a man after God's heart. He managed to break all Ten Commandments with one act of disobedience. I mean, that's pretty incredible. And he wasn't always after God's heart with adultery and uh, the murder in which he committed, the sins that he did. But yet, God looked over the entire course of David's life, and he said, you are not defound, defined by one round or two rounds. You are defined by what I call you, David. As you lived your life, generally speaking, you are a man after my own heart. Moses, my servant... Noah, a preacher of righteousness, this is the same guy, I mean, who started the hangover in part one, you know, after the flood. I mean, he had some rough times after the flood, and yet God saw this man's obedience all of the years of his life, and he looked down at Noah, and he said, you're not the man that got drunk after the ark, and after all that took place, you are a man who is a preacher of righteousness. And there are people in this room tonight who feel like a misfit, who feel like you are defined by things that have happened in your life, but I I want to tell you, you can still win the fight even though you have lost some rounds in your life. It's not over. You can win the fight without winning every round. You, you know my role is in Los Angeles? I literally walk around down to, I, our neighborhood has changed. We've seen crime drop 73% in our neighborhood in three years. Just to give you background, we have about 700, 800 people live in our building, all homeless, runaways, people addicted to drugs, 24 hours are coming in. It's called the Church Never Sleeps. We're open 24 hours a day. You see the building here. It's open all day long for people to come and get help. Hundreds of people, 250 people in rehab, about almost 200 families that are homeless who live there. And... When, when, when I built my church, nobody wanted to come and hear me preach. I was 20 years of age when I went into the neighborhood. Everybody looked at me and thought I was a kid from the movie Home Alone. They're like, dude, are you? Th I'm like, no, I'm not him, you know. And, and everyone thought, and I, I mean, I, back then I was so skinny that when I stuck out my tongue, I looked like a zipper. I was 20 years of age, and I'm in the hood, you know. In one of the three, uh, the, the, the second most violent neighborhood in all of Los Angeles, next to a liquor store that nobody could find downtown. And we had 18 people. We drove it down to two. I was so discouraged that one night I went out and nobody showed up. I didn't have a worship leader. I didn't have a band. I didn't have an organ player. I just received a building that, that had been vacant pretty much for years. And I was following an 82-year-old pastor. 
And, and so I, I thought, boy, I was gonna show up to LA and preach great sermons, and boy, people were gonna come and uh, hear me preach. And I was so excited, and, uh, and, and I got up there, and I said, you know what, the great things are gonna happen, and people left. They're like, we don't want a 20-year-old pastor. So I said, God, I'm just gonna walk through the streets of LA and pick up broken pieces and tell people they can dream again. Our church began to grow. When we had 48 people, 40 of them were homeless. I had 48 people, 40 were homeless, and so I'd be preaching in the middle of my sermon on faith and how you gotta have faith to please God, and people would be kissing each other in the back row, you know, and I'd have to change my sermon and preach on moral purity. I mean, you had to be good in those days, you know, and... And I had no deacons, so I had to start what was called street deacons. All my guys from Skid Row became my deacons and ushers. And I said, guys, I need you to help me to be my ushers, you know, and, uh, and I need you to help me. And these guys started crying. I had a meeting with my guys from the bus. And they said, you want us to be ushers and deacons? I said, yes. They said, well, we, we, we're not even sober yet. I'm like, I got no choice, you know. And uh, I had to, I had, and these guys got sober because the, the, for the first time, somebody believed in them and gave them a job. And, and I'd, be, I'd be receiving the offering. <laughs> I'd be receiving the offering. These guys would get the shakes, you know. They're like, they're trying to get sober, you know. It's like, it's like the basketball coach in the movie The Hoosiers. Remember that, you know. It's like that, you know. And, and, we're, and here we were, and uh, we're, we're trying to uh, get these guys, and all these misfits started getting their lives back together. And God said, I want you to spend your life being a church that welcomes misfits like this church. Welcome people that, that don't feel like they belong. And God, and just start declaring things over people's lives. I go around to the liquor store to get me a 40-ounce Coke. And uh, I, I talk to the guys, the gangsters by there. And I still do this. I walk up to the guys in the neighborhood of Temple Street Gang. I'm like, hey, man, one day you're going to be my children's pastor. And they laugh. And they're like, oh, pastor's just calling us out. And I said, that's cool, man. You're bad. You can laugh. But you're going to be my youth pastor one day. And, 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 and we just, because God loves misfits and God uses misfits. If you don't believe that, just read the Hall of Heroes. It's a bunch of messed up folks in there. But somehow they got it in the Hall of Fame because God welcomes misfits. He welcomes you. He loves you. He's calling you out. Not just to salvation and forgiveness but to usefulness again. I'm just crazy enough to believe that there's a modern-day Apostle Paul in this building that doesn't even know it yet. You think life is over? You came into church and you thought it was over. But it could it be that rock bottom was a bouncing point for God to recreate you into something you never dreamed that you could become? God uses misfits. When I was 16 years of age, I was raised in the first 10,000 mega church in America, Tommy Barnett, my dad, my hero. 10,000-member church. He's the first one to crack 10,000. Time Magazine, third largest church in America. I was a pastor's kid in a mega church, 16 years of age, with a stuttering problem. I could barely even finish a sentence, and sometimes I have to catch myself because I can get into that when I get too excited. And so, uh, but anyways, uh, I was 16, and, and it, was a, it was a youth conference that we were at one night, and I surrendered to the call of God. You know those youth services where you cry for like five hours? You're just like laid out. It's like two in the morning, you know, and or, or at church, you know, those old revival meetings where you're, you're praying and you can hear the, you can hear, uh, you know, the custodians like with the vacuum cleaner and you're still praying, you know, and, uh, and all that and, and just seeking God. And I came back, I said, I'm called of God to preach. I told my dad and I said, I feel like God's called me to preach right now. My dad said, great. He said, that's wonderful. And he gave me the Assemblies of God directory book of all the churches A to Z. And he said, call and see if you can get a couple bookings. So I called him from A to Z, and I got two churches that invited me to preach. And so I'll never forget the first church I got there. I was so excited. I had, and I had this stuttering problem, but I was still pumped up to try. And I had a 45-minute sermon prepared, and I was so nervous, I preached a whole sermon in five minutes. <laughs> I was so done. 
And I got to the front row, and an usher came up to me, and he put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, young man, I'm going to give you the best advice I could ever give a young man in ministry. I said, what is it? What is it, sir? He said, don't preach the gospel. Don't do it. Some people got it, and some people don't. But the Lord has another plan for your life, young man. And I'm like, thanks, brother. And, uh, but, but, I, but I knew that I failed, but... but I ran out of churches to preach at from the book, so I called my grandma in Kansas City, and my grandma was the number one counselor of all the pastors in Kansas City. So I called her. I said, Grandma, can you help book me to some of the churches here in Kansas City for a whole summer? She said, Honey, I'll have you booked in every church for every Sunday for three months. I said, How are you able to do that? Dad can't do that. You could do that? She said, Oh, yeah. I counsel every single one of these pastors here. They'll certainly have you come and preach, you know, and... Uh, and so under the manipulation, I mean the anointing of my grandmother, I got invited to preach at all these different churches. And I'll never forget one night I was preaching and I was stuttering up a storm. I mean, it was an epic fail. I mean, it was every mistake you could ever make in homiletics. It was horrible. I got a C- minus in homiletics too. And uh, I made every mistake I can, I can imagine. And uh, when the service was over, I went to the back to talk to the pastors. And there were two pastors and they were laughing. And they said, you know what? It's kind of sad to hear a young man do something that he's really not called to do. We knew his grandfather and his father. It's kind of sad to see him try to do something. I didn't want to embarrass those men by walking through that door, but I felt like the biggest misfit in all the world. Like, why am I even trying to fill this legacy of a size 20 shoes in the ministry of my father? And I got so discouraged. I just walked home to Tonganoxie five miles, and I just cried with every step. I got home, and I, and I laid on the bed at my grandma's house. I said, Grandma, I'm the biggest failure in all the world. These men said it, and what they said was true. I'm not called to do this. And my grandma stopped, and she looked at me. She said, young man, I don't know what you're talking about. She said, that was the greatest sermon I've ever heard in my entire life. She said, you preach bit better than Billy Graham. Thank the Lord for lying grandmas all over the world. Amen. <laughs> to them, to grandmas, it is credit to them as righteousness, you know, so I knew I needed some work, though, and I got the next morning. This is where I learned to preach. I learned preaching to the trees in Tonganoxie, Kansas. I would go outside to the forest, and I would preach to the trees. And I'd put a, put a, a Bible on a tree stump, and I would say, you trees out there need to get saved. You trees aren't living right. And then all of a sudden, the wind would blow in the middle, and I said, the whole wind of the Holy Spirit just blew in this place right now. And the trees... And then some of the limbs would get like intertwined. I'd be like, wait till you're married before you do that. You know, your tree's over there. Get yourself together, you know. And I preached to the trees. I received offerings at the trees. And they dropped their little acorns. I'd be like, thank you, Brother Tree, over there. We received that gift in faith. And uh, I preached in the trees. And every day, this African-American gentleman who worked at the little congregational church next door, he used to come out, and, uh, and he worked as a, as a janitor there. And he would come out and just go like this every day, like, good job, man. You're preaching good. Like, good job. And I'd preach to the trees, and every once in a while, i kind of look, and he'd be like, good job. Such a sweet man. I'll never forget him. And as I was preaching to those trees, I, the only one who ever encouraged me was that janitor who used to come out and bring the bags and uh, knew that a young man was trying his best. And one day, I gave the invitation for the trees to come forward. They never really did. I can't figure out why. And <laughs> as I asked them to come down, that janitor dropped his bag. He came down to the front. He said, Reverend, I've been hearing you preach. He said, do you think the Lord will save me and forgive me of all my sins? I said, yes, sir. And the first preaching salvation came by accident, by God's will, preaching the trees out there. 
You might feel like a misfit, but that's okay. God uses misfits. He uses stutterers. He uses people that are insecure. He uses people that have burned bridges in the past. Whatever it may be tonight, God welcomes misfits. Number two, God looks for misfits. I love Matthew chapter 26 and verse 6, for the Bible says, Jesus entered the home of a man by the name of Simon the leper. You'll say, well, well, that's, well that's not that powerful of a scripture. That's, that's not Philippians 4.13, you know. But to me, that's powerful because Jesus was at the end of his life. He was getting ready to go to the cross. He was in the middle of the most agonizing moments and era of his life. Here he is coming to the end. And what does Jesus do? He enters the home of a man who has leprosy and says, Simon, I want to have dinner with you. That's what I love about Jesus. Sometimes in the church nowadays, we can be, you know, afraid to offend anybody or afraid to, like, get into somebody's world or get up into somebody's mess. That wasn't Jesus. Jesus got up into everyone's mess. Jesus said, Simon, can I have dinner with you? Jesus is walking. People are celebrating the triumphal entry of Jesus, and he sees Zacchaeus. He said, hey, Zacchaeus, can I come over to your house and have Chick-fil-A? Oh, I should not have said that in the middle of what's going on here. I'm sorry. They're not open anyways. No, I say they are now. But anyways, uh, and he just called him out. He said, that kiss, I want to have dinner with you. That's what Jesus was, the kind of person that he was. He would walk down, and his disciples had it all figured out. If you want to be the Messiah, go here. These are the places you need to go. And Jesus would be walking, and, and I can kind of picture a manager kind of telling Jesus what he needed to do, and the disciples thought they knew where he needed to go. And Jesus would be like, you know what? I think I'm going to go way over here and talk to the divorced woman by the woman at the well. Jesus spent his entire life looking for misfits, and tonight you might feel like a misfit, but Jesus is looking for you. He has called you out. He loves you. He believes in you. He has a plan for you. And he's going to call you out, whether it be from a tree or enter into your spirit tonight. He's calling you out. He's calling out misfits from crack houses. He's calling out misfits from broken marriages tonight. He's calling out misfit marriages. Welcome. Come back. God's got a plan. Your marriage is not finished yet. God is looking for you if you feel tonight like a misfit. If God's called you to something that is so much bigger than you, and you don't know if you can do it, God is welcoming you. He loves you. He believes in you. And Jesus spent his life looking for misfits. You know what I tell my daughter? I tell my daughter at school, I tell her, I want you to sit by all the kids who are alone at lunch. I want you to go looking for misfits. And my daughter comes home, and she's in middle school, you know, the peer pressure era, where everybody's too cool, you know, and... And, but she comes home and she says, there's a kid sitting all alone. And I sat by that kid at lunch every day. She goes looking for misfits in the lunchroom to sit by them. And I said, you are never more like Jesus when you spend your life looking for misfits. The Bible says Jesus Christ of Nazareth who went about doing good. That's the one sentence autobiography of the life of Jesus. He went around doing good. Everywhere that Jesus went, people knew something good was about to happen. Wouldn't that be great if God's people were not necessarily known for anything, but just people who are going about doing good? Someone's going to be blessed. Someone's going to get healed because we're going to pray for them. Someone's going to be encouraged. Jesus walked in, and uh, there's going to be sandwiches. There's going to be feedings. There's going to be healings. I believe that the awakening of God's people is we spend our life like Jesus, living that autobiography, who went about doing good, carrying his nature, believing God for miracles. And that was the life of Jesus. He welcomed misfits. He looked for misfits. 
And he spent his life going about doing good where the only way they could describe him was simply he was a man who went about doing good. And I believe that there are a bunch of misfits in this world, in a world full of selfishness, in a world full of me, in a world full of I, in a world full of what I can get. There's a generation that's rising up that doesn't make sense. A bunch of misfits going around, praying God for others, believing for others, hoping for others, serving others. Spending four hours of your Sunday when other people are watching football, helping the work of God. You have a misfit mindset if you love Jesus more than you love comfort and convenience in this world. I'll never forget one day I went down to the Dream Center and we have a trafficking shelter for 34 girls that are victims of human trafficking. So when they do raids, they bring the girls to our building. When the FBI finds um, girls from across the border that have been smuggled, they actually rescue the girls and bring them to the Dream Center. And so we have 34 of these girls that live there. It's the most stunning story I've ever seen. Um, they're constantly being brought in. It's, they work with the governments. They like working with the church better because we don't have paperwork. We just take them in and love them and, and help and, uh, and make a difference. So they just bring them to our place. And there's some girls that were going out to rescue a group of girls on Sunset that were being uh, involved in human trafficking. For an hour, these girls literally line up, and they are branded by their pimps like you would brand a cattle of ownership, and these guys drive up for an hour period of time on sunset by a car wash, and they drive up, and the girls drop in, and, and they're so organized within an hour, they can move tons of girls, and then they're out before the police. So our girls started going out and risking their lives um, out there ministering, and so these girls, I uh, walked down one day to the Dream Center, these girls were, they had lipstick, and they were putting stickers around them. I said, what are you guys doing? They said, Pastor, we started a ministry called the Lipstick Ministry. I said, what's that? They said, well, the prostitutes are working in the middle of the night, and they're putting lipstick on, and so every time they put the lipstick on, they're going to see the number of the rescue shelter of where they can come to the Dream Center and get helped. And so they put the lipstick on. They're like, oh, yeah, I can get saved and rescued there. And so I said, that is the craziest thing I've ever heard. And they went out, and they started finding these prostitutes, and they started, and we, and we rescued this one girl from the street, she, she was literally selling her body. She ran away from home. She ended up to this, on the street selling herself. And, and uh, one day a pimp got a hold of her life and, uh, and took her in. And, and she got pregnant from a man she didn't know. All of her friends told her to abort the baby. But something in her spirit said, no, maybe if I keep this child, it will bring me out of the life of prostitution. Meanwhile, they go out in the middle of the night. We act like um, we have some guys that go with our girls and act like they're picking them up in prostitution. So they go up to the girls and they act like they're making a deal. And we say, you want to change? They say, yes. Um, they say, well, you see that guy down the street? He's acting like he's going to pick you up. Act like you're making a deal and we'll get a van and steal you away from your pimp and bring you back to the Dream Center. Well, one day, one day we got this girl and we stole her from her pimp and got on the freeway and drove back on the Hollywood freeway to the Dream Center. The pimp followed us back to the Dream Center. We knew he had a gun, so we called the Dream Center. We said, look, guys, we need some backup. We need to make sure this pimp feels very unwelcome when he gets back to the Dream Center. The pimp turned around the corner, and he looked, and he saw about 200 ex-convicts in a rehab program <laughs> standing outside the building going like this. I mean... I I mean, these guys are saved, but they're just barely saved. I mean, barely saved. If we backslide, we gossip. If they backslide, they kill you because to them, sin is all the same in the eyes of the Lord, you know. And this pimp saw a rougher crowd in the church than he ever saw out on the street. And he never came back. And uh, we started ministering to this girl, and she would always fail one month before graduation. We couldn't figure out why. We tried everything to encourage her. 
I mean, everything. I tried the Joel Osteen method. I looked her in the eye, and I said, there's a champion inside of you. Don't cry, young lady. Your best life is right now. This is my Bible. It is what it says I am. It can do what it says it can do. And I'm a huge fan. I love it. Love it. But then I tried the Dr. Phil method, and I said, the Dr. Phil method, the first time you didn't change, you were a victim. And now when you continue to fail to graduate, you've now become a volunteer to your pain, you know, and then she cried even more. Didn't think that was working either, you know, and, and then finally I decided I should have done what I did the first place. I picked up the Bible and started reading every scripture of restoration I could find. She said, Pastor, I cannot change. I said, why can you not change? She said, I had a baby from a man who picked me up on the street. Everyone told me to abort the baby, but I kept that child because I thought that child would bring me out of the life of prostitution. She said, I kept that baby, and one day my pimp walked in and said, this baby is costing me money. I'm gonna make sure this never happens again. And she said, Pastor, as I was holding my baby in my arm, he pulled out a gun, and he put it up to the head of my child, and he pulled the trigger, and he murdered my child in my arms. And then he went to the restroom and got a hot curling iron, did something to be so vicious to where I never can have children again. She said, that's why I can never graduate your program. I am a failure, and my lifestyle caused the death of a child. And she just screamed, and I began to continue to read more scripture. And then finally, after almost a couple years of trying to get her to graduate, she jumped up and said, Pastor, if it's true, everything you said is true. If you're not lying to me, people have lied to me my entire life. If God will do all this, he will forgive me, he will restore me, and do something so great, and will welcome me like this, and love me as a misfit and a broken young lady, if he will do that, I promise you I will change the world. She got saved from that day. She got up, went back to the streets of Hollywood, and the, literally the undercover agents came to us and said, look, you need to tell that girl to stop. She's now ministering to all the undercover agents that are trying to arrest all the prostitutes out there on the street. And now she's reached a generation of young girls that the world would label misfits, but they have been welcome in the kingdom of God. She goes out every day looking for misfits. Every day. I've been, I've been on their drive-alongs down the street where they rescue the girls. Scariest thing I've ever done in my life. I had to pray the entire time. These girls are so bold. They go up to them and give them lipstick and, and minister to them. We got pimps following us the whole night. It was a, I've never been closer to Jesus when I go with those girls. Some of the boldest ladies I've ever seen in my life. And all we were doing is roaming through the streets of East L.A., South Central, just telling girls that they were loved, that you are welcome. The only time they've ever been told they are ever welcome unconditionally, was by the people of God. And that's the way it should be. Jesus went around looking for broken people, looking for misfits. And I thank God tonight. I am in the most spiritually alive place that lives your entire life, welcoming misfit people, welcoming people that got some baggage. Taking a risk on risky people. A church that believes in restoration. I close with this, my final point. Jesus encourages misfit dreamers. He encourages people, he encourages misfit dreamers. When, when we were in our old building by the liquor store and uh, God spoke to us to buy the Queen of Angels Hospital, it was a $16 million building that Paramount Studios was gonna buy, 400,000 square feet. It's a landmark. Now today it's worth over $60 million. But back then it was worth 16. They were gonna buy it and we told the Catholic Church we were interested in buying it. They said, make us an offer. We told them what our dream was and the sisters were so kind they said, you know what? We believe that what you want to do in the neighborhood is better than Hollywood. Go ahead and make us an offer. We made an offer for $3.9 million. They accepted our offer versus $16 million. The $4 million was a lot of money 
when we only had $30,000 a year in offerings. $30,000, and we needed 18 months to come up with $4 million. And I'll never forget, my dad and I went to the pantry, which is a 24-hour place that never closes in downtown L.A. It's a steak place, you know. And we were there eating there, and, uh, and we were just saying, we, should we buy the building or not? People will think we're crazy. And my dad said, well, let's just write a pros and cons of why we should buy the building with $30,000 a year, and it's $4 million, and we need 18 months. We said, okay, let's do the pros and cons. And so, you know, we put, it said cons, and we put there, $4 million is a lot of money. $30,000 a year in income. Only have 18 months. We lose everything we have if we don't find it. And so we were just, and, and then another con that we had on there is our church is all cons, you know, and uh, ex-cons. And, and, there were, and then, then uh, we, we needed like three napkins to write down the cons because we were being honest with ourselves. And then we said, what are the pros? And we looked there and we said, well, the pros are, what if? What if God built a 24-7 church in the middle of the inner city of L.A. where lives could be changed? What if we built a place where the homeless could have a place in the middle of the night? What if at 2 o'clock in the morning someone was hungover, they can come into the house of God? What if a family was homeless living in their car? They could show up at any hour and somebody would take them in. What if people could be fed all hours of the day? What if? That's all we had. But can I tell you something? Your pros and cons don't always have to line up for it to make sense. They usually don't. If the idea doesn't make sense, there's a good chance it might make history. Look at this building. It doesn't make sense. When this building was being built, the world was watching. And the pros and the cons didn't always line up. But there's a step of faith that requires God to get involved. And that's what's the miracle space that is needed. I used to do the Tommy Barnett. When my dad gets wired. He does this. I do the same things my father does. Amen. But uh, it's called miracle space. What is space? It's the space between what you can do and you can't do. You see, oftentimes, Christian people think they're religious and say, well, I can do this, and this is where I need to go, so it must be spiritual if I'm closer to what I can do. But that's not what a miracle space is all about. Miracle space is about creating the space between what you can do and what you can do, and the more space between what you can and cannot do. That's the amount of space God can get the glory. We need to create some miracle spaces in our life. Miracle spaces. You know why I love this church? This church, this, this building, everything is a symbol to the city of investment. That's why I love it. It shows that we're not leaving the, the city. We put down roots here. We have some miracle space to try to make up. You see, God is looking for misfit dreamers, people that dream, and it doesn't make sense. People thought we were crazy. We had letters saying, Pastor Tommy Barney, this is the most irresponsible thing you've ever done. This is the most risky thing you've ever done. And uh, they thought that the old man and, uh, with his young 20-year-old son was crazy. And, and we were. And <laughs> there was a lot of people said you couldn't do it. But you know what? You never do something to prove the haters wrong. You do everything to prove Jesus right. If your motivation, if your motivation is to prove people wrong, you're not going to make it. And don't get mad if people don't believe in your dream. They might one day, they just might need someone to break the four-minute mile first to come along with them. There's a lot of people that came along when the giant was knocked down. That's okay. We need them any time of the game. So never, never be angry at people who hate on your dream because one day they might come back. Just say, praise the Lord. I love Tim Tebow. And they asked him a question. They said to Tim Tebow, uh, all these hard questions, and his answer to everything was, uh, thank you so much. I'm just trying to get better. When people send me a mean message on Twitter, I never say anything negative to them right back to them. I just say, thank you so much. I'm just trying to get better. 
You know, you're wrong, pastor. You're probably right. I'm just trying to get better. Amen. That needs to be our response. We don't need to fight with people. Anyone can rip somebody back and respond. But it takes a miracle to make a friend. I'm trying to make friends everywhere I go. Amen. I might need them someday. You never know. My motivation is not to prove people wrong. It's to prove that God is bigger than our power. God is bigger. Call of God is that way. And so sometimes, you know, have you ever seen that commercial with Colin Kaepernick the ones a couple years ago with the Beats commercial where he put his headphones on and uh, he, was, uh, he was actually walking into Seattle territory, which was a rival, and he's walking in to, to play the football game. People are yelling at him, you can't do it, you're going to lose in that commercial. And he's walking in, he's kind of looking a little nervous, you know, and like the fans are like vicious in his face, you're gonna, we're going to beat you. And, and they show this commercial where he's taking this long walk through the alley and people are just coming against him. And then in the middle of the commercial, Kaepernick, which... He probably, anyways, anyways uh, he puts the headphones on and he gets lost in the beat of something that's outside of the noise of can't be done. And he just listens to it and he just loses himself to the beat and he gets lost. And I, and I think that there's sometimes times in our life we just need to not fight the distractions of life and just get lost in the rhythm of the call of God for our life. Get lost in the call and... Don't be angry. Don't be mad. Don't be hostile. Just get lost in what God's called you to do and tune out the noise. Well, well, pastor, you don't understand. I come from four generations of people that have been divorced. That's okay. What you need to do is in your marriage, put on the and you need to, to bob to the beat of your own marriage and not what other people say. You can't, wait, wait, now, now, pastor, you can't build a church in the inner city after the riots, after the earthquakes. You can't build a hospital. All the great churches are in Orange County. Don't go to downtown L.A. Wait a second, wait, wait. You can't build, you can't build a church called the arena. You can't build an arena in Jacksonville as a house of God. That's for Vegas. That's for people like Donald Trump. You can't build a church like that. Why is it okay for Trump to do it, but then the house of God's like, we need to pray that brother gets more humble. No, we ought to be the big, because somebody, your pastor decided to put the headphones on. Wait a second. Once you're an addict, always you're an addict. You come from three generations of alcoholics. What makes you think you're going to be different? All I hear is my future. All I hear is my call. All I hear is what my God is telling me to do. And I'm going to walk in the direction of that. And I'm going to move of the call of God in my life. Hey. Can we shout? All of you misfit dreamers, give a shout. When God calls you to do something, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Misfits are welcome. Misfits are welcome. Jesus is looking for misfits. Misfit dreamers, he's waiting on you. I close with this. Sometimes I close five or six times in a sermon. <laughs> one sermon I opened a message by closing, but this is the real one. Ah, oh, I caught you. The first day I came to L.A., there was a young man that was shot and killed in a drive-by shooting, and his body laid on the steps of our church. It was the middle of the 1990s where gangs were running crazy through our street. 
He was shot by a rival El Salvadorian gang and his body laid on the steps of our church. I had to walk around his body to get to my first church service. I'm 20 years of age. I'm scared of my own shadow. My dad couldn't find a pastor. He asked me to come and pastor. I said, sure. Two weeks, I'm just running bus routes and now all of a sudden I'm a senior pastor of a church. Total misfit, out of my element, had no idea what was going on. I walked into the building that night. I'll never forget as I walked in, the church was meeting on a midweek. I was supposed to introduce myself as a pastor and then come back on Sunday, um, preach my first sermon, but I was supposed to introduce myself. I said, church, I can't give you a message tonight. There's a young boy that was killed in the steps of our church. We've got to do something about it. They say, Pastor, you don't understand. This is the way it works in this neighborhood. We've been here for years. The gang members stick to themselves, and we stick to ourselves. I said, okay, we have our gang, and they have their gang. I said, but let's just go over there and show up and pray and just see what God might do. How many of you will go with me? Nobody raised their hand. I got a bunch of people here already raised their hand. They're like, let's go. Let's get on a plane. And uh, <laughs> that's why you're awesome. And uh, and who? And so they, they said, Pastor, we we we. We don't do that, but we'll give you an offering. So I received a $38 offering because when all else fails, receive an offering. That's what I heard. And I had $38. I went across the street to a, a house attached to a liquor store. I knocked on the door. The door flung open. I was staring in the face of the biggest gang member I'd ever seen in my life. He looked down at me, and then I looked up at him, and then I looked up at God and said, God, I've always heard there's a place called heaven. Save me a place. I'm coming home real soon, you know, and... Uh, he has so many tattoos that if he flexes his left bicep, the Old Testament would come out. And the New Testament over here. He said, what do you want? I said, I'm the new pastor, and I just want to pray for the family. He said, make it quick, Padre. He'll say, did you correct him? Because you're not a Padre. You're a pastor. Uh-uh. When you're that big, you can call me rabbi, bishop, father, whatever you want to call me. Just don't kill me. He said, Father, I want you to do something for me. I said, what's that? He said, when you're done, he said, uh, why don't you come by and pray for the family? So I walked in, and I gave the money to the mother, and she was crying, and, and, and I said, we're going to help you bury your son. And she was like, oh, gracias, huero, which means whitey in Spanish. <laughs> gracias, huero, and I gave her the money. I'm heading towards the door. And that gang member grabbed me in the arm and spun me around and said, I want you to pray for the family, and I didn't know what to do. I just got out of Bible college, but Bible college didn't prepare me for gang ministry 101. Drive-by 102, I couldn't find it in the curriculum. We got together in this circle, and we're all joining hands. He said, I want you to pray. But I remembered a prayer in Bible college called Prayer of Need and Time of Comfort. It's like a memorized autopilot Christian prayer that will get you out of any situation. It's like the get-out-of-jail card of Monopoly, you know? And so we got in this circle, and I said, okay, I'm going to memorize this get-out-of-here prayer. And so I'm praying, and we're joining hands, this flowery prayer. Dear Lord, I pray that you will bless this habitation and your glorification. May your manifestation be here during this presentation, O oh God, of grace and station. I pray that you'll bless the birds and the trees, the flowers, my leaves, and the knees. Pretty please, oh geez. I'm like rhyming. Like Bible college Dr. Dre. Where's this coming from, you know? And right in the middle of my prayer, the Lord says, you will never get this chance ever again. Pray like you really mean it. So, okay, God, Lord, I pray that peace would prevail in this neighborhood. <laughs> Nothing happened, so I prayed a little bolder. I said, God, I pray that these young men would realize they're not as strong as they think they are, and they need Jesus. Right when I said those words, my right hand got squeezed next to me tighter, and my left hand, I said, oh, God, he hates my prayer. I'm going down. <laughs> but if I'm going out, I might as well get my name into the Fox's Book of Martyrs. I'm going out in a blaze of glory, you know. And I started praying, Lord, they need to repent. They need to get saved. Lord, the streets can be cleaned up by the... And as I started praying, and my right hand was being lifted by the gang member next to me. 
And then my left hand was being lifted, and I looked around and prayed that prayer, and all those guys raised their hand, and I knew that they were, they were coming along with the prayer. And so I said, you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And I prayed the prayer, and every single one of those gang members accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior on that day. And from that day on, from that day on, I had the best bodyguards my car never got broken into. I'd go across the street to that liquor store, and the guy would say, Hola, bueno, como estas? I said, I'm not, I'm not the father. He said, you're the father of this neighborhood. And the father gets all the free food and drinks that he wants. I said, you say free food and free drinks? He said, yes, I did. I said, bless you, my son, in the name of the father's son. I'm, I'm throwing holy water and everything on the brother, you know. Let's don't let titles get in the way of free food. <laughs> Jeremiah 194.20. <laughs> and I walked out of there, and man, it didn't make sense. Graffiti on the walls. I can't, everyone said, you're going to be the next pastor of this church. You're going to be Tommy Barnett's son. You're going to do two years of mission work in L.A. and come back and take over a real church. And the walls were graffiti all over. The other day, we had a picture of me um, and a couple of guys who, we had a little three-on-three basketball tournament, the cheap Kmart basketball hoop that we bought. With a money prize, and me and three and two guys were there. One guy had his gang pose on, and uh, he had a Corona beer in the picture. And I'm in the middle because I, I recruited the two best guys in the neighborhood to play on my team. And they, they're looking all hard and tough, and they looked at me. I'm just like, like I'm a hippie from Eugene, Oregon, or something. That's all I got, you know. And total misfit, out of my element. But I thank God that He welcomes, He uses misfits. And he blesses misfit dreamers like this church for his glory. Every head, come on, let's give the Lord praise. There's an awakening going on here. There's an awakening tonight. God is so good. Let's just give him a shout of praise all over this room tonight. Let's give him a shout. You may be seated inside the Catholic Church, up and down. All right. What an unbelievable church. I love you guys. Tonight, you're here, and you'll say, Pastor, I feel like Zacchaeus up in the tree. I feel like Simon the leper. And I sure want Jesus to come into my life tonight and change me. When you talked about a Savior that loves me, that welcomes me, that is looking for me, that's what the whole plan of salvation is about. God leaving heaven to come down to earth to look for broken man and put broken man's name into his hall of fame. Prostitutes and murderers and criminals were in that hall of fame simply because God just declared by sending Jesus, it's not over for mankind. When we are dead in sin, we are alive to Christ. And all over this room, there are people today that feel like you're misfits. You feel like you're away. You feel like you're even misplaced in society. You're in a misfit marriage. You're in a misfit place in your life. But God doesn't destroy people in rock bottom. He recreates them. You're here tonight. I'm going to count to three. When I say three, I want to see the hands of everybody in this room will say, Tonight, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I give my life to you. You're looking for me, and I surrender. You love me. You, you look for me so much. You came down to earth to find me, and today I will no longer reject you. I said, Jesus, here I am. I stop, 
in the middle of my madness, I just stop and I surrender and I dedicate my life to serve you. Come into my life. Cleanse me and wash me and be my God. I don't feel that tonight this needs to even be long, this push, because I feel that tonight you get the message, you get the point tonight that God loves you, he welcomes you, and he's ready to use you despite what you have done or where you've been. You simply got to repent of trying to do it your own way and surrender to the way that God has for you. All over this room, tonight's the night where people that feel like misfits doesn't mean you're different and awkward. It just means that you just feel lost. You feel out of place. I, my whole sermon was about being a misfit. I know. But tonight is just your night to surrender that misfit status to Jesus and find the place you've always belonged. All over this building, one, God is moving. Two, the Holy Spirit is speaking to people. This awakening, something is happening here. This final day of this awakening, this amazing experience over these last 21 days can result Somebody's been praying for you. Somebody's been fasting for you. Somebody loved you enough to just simply dedicate themselves and, and, and push themselves spiritually to the next limit just because you are the miracle they've been praying for. And tonight, everyone in this room will say, tonight, here I am. I'm like Zacchaeus up in the tree. Yes, Jesus is calling you out. Yes, Jesus, I will come. Come and follow me, the disciples. They let down their nets. They follow Jesus. Tonight is your night all over this room. You're here tonight, and you want to give your life to Jesus. You want to surrender your life to his will, to his plan. And tonight is the night where you simply say, I am a glorious misfit in God's hand, ready for life to begin, the reset button to be started and pushed in my life, and I'm ready to serve Christ all over this room. That's you tonight. You're ready to stop running, hiding, climbing, whatever you've done. Tonight's your night to surrender. Are you ready all over this room? From the right to the left, to the front, to the back. I believe that hands are going to go up all over this room. God is calling every misfit home tonight. Every broken person home. Every lost person home. Every wayward person home tonight. Are you ready all over this room tonight? If it's your time to surrender and say, yes, God, I'm a misfit in your hands. And I come home all over this room. I want you to raise your hands across this room right now. Three, lift them up all over this room. Just raise them up. Yes, 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 yes. They're going to keep raising them. Yes. Just keep lifting them tonight. God, I surrender. I surrender, God. Hands are going up. Keep raising them. Keep raising them all over this room. Just keep lifting them up. Just keep raising them up all week. Just here I am, God, I surrender. I surrender tonight. I give my life to you. Hands are going up all over this room. I'm going to wait 30 more seconds. Just lift up your hand. It's usually those last second ones that, 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 that lift their hand, that become that miracle. It's not too late. If you feel opposition tonight, that's confirmation. You need to raise your hand. Something is trying to block the glorious future in your life. Hands are going up. Keep raising them. Is there any more? 15 seconds left all over this building. This is a moment of change. This is an awakening moment all over this room. Just keep raising. God loves you. He's looking for you. Everyone that raised your hand, you that did, but you need this prayer. I'm going to do one more thing. Tonight I'm going to do something that probably hasn't been done before. But before I call those who raised their hand down, you've already gone one step. You might as well come all the way tonight. We're going to have people surrounding you and praying for you tonight. It's going to be an unbelievable experience. Everyone raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you tonight. But one last time, I want everyone in this room to turn to the person next to you and say, if you need to come down to the front, I'll go with you. Now, I know that might be strange for some people, but say, but if we can get 100% participation, I want every person to turn to the person next to you and simply say, if you need to come down to surrender your life, I'll go with you. That's all you need to say. If you need to surrender your life to Christ, I'll go with you. Are you ready? Turn to the person next to you right now. Just say that right now. If you need, I'll go with you. Yeah, you might not even know him. That's okay. Just simply say that. You're just following the instructions. I want everyone that raised their hand tonight 
who is ready to surrender their life to the will of God. And everyone who just responded just now to someone who asked you, as we sing this song, I want you to come down the front. Are you ready? Nobody holding back. Nobody stopping. You've already come so far. Don't go halfway. This is a night. Are you ready? Everyone raise your hand. Just come to the front right now. All over this room. Come on. Come on. Come down. We're going to pray for you. Just all over this room. Those of you turn to the person next to you. Just make your way tonight. Just make your way. God is moving. Oh, God loves you tonight. He's welcoming you. He welcomes you. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Just make your way down. God is moving tonight. He's welcoming you. Oh, just keep clapping. It's a a big building. A lot of people coming down. It's a big building. Come on, turn to the person next to you. Just encourage them. I'll come with you. I come with you. Just make your way. Oh, God is moving. There's still people coming down the aisles. I see 10 here. I see about 25 to 30 this area. Just keep making your way down here. God loves you. Oh, he loves you so much. He loves you guys. Keep clapping. You're doing amazing. Come on. Come on, a little bit longer. Others, come on. It's not too late. It's not too late. It's not too late. We're going to sing this through one more time. Last call. Many of you are in the bars. They used to say last call. This is a real last call. Are you ready? Come on. Come on. Come down here right now. Come on. Thank you, Lord but because of the spirit of your heart by which you're going to pray it. Everyone together, all over this room, you pray that you came down or you didn't come down, but you need this prayer together. Everyone in this room, repeat these words after me loud and strong. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to this earth, looking for me to die on the cross, to shed your blood for all of my sin. And I repent of my sin and I stop to embrace the cross, which gives me hope. Thank you for dying for me, Jesus. Now I will live for you. I am your misfits, ready to be used for great things. I died to yesterday, and I live to what's ahead because your grace covers me. And I thank you tonight for welcoming me home in Jesus' name. Come on, give the Lord praise and the worship team is gonna sing.